I'm, I'm not in the business to make a wage. I'm in the business to make the business profitable. And there's a difference. And knowing that difference is what's going to make you successful or is going to make you uh, flounder in this business. That's the voice of John Steen, owner of Steen Woodwork, LLC. And I'm excited to talk with him right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project to getting paid to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with John Steen, owner of the Southern Montana-based furniture company, Steen Woodwork, LLC. If you ask John what his company is all about, he would probably say something like, it is based on the goal of quality building and customer service. Both things that many people strive for in their business, but very few succeed at. And as you will hear, he goes about achieving these goals in a very calculated way. He knows his personal worth and the worth of learning from people who came before him. He's not interested in reinventing the wheel. He's interested in incorporating the knowledge he has gained over the years into running a profitable and long-term company. Follow along as we talk about what it takes to start your own business, the importance of learning from the older generation, how your pricing model can be improved, and much more. So let's jump right in and hear John's story in his own words. Well, I started my woodworking pursuits, I guess, as a young kid. Um, my dad owned and ran a cabinet shop uh, here in Joliet. And uh, that's actually where I am working out of right now. Uh, I was probably, oh geez, five or six when I started spending time in the shop. And that was mostly sweeping you know, cleaning up, watching my dad work. And that slowly built into, you know, I would help him on the planer, planing a bunch of boards. I would help him with sanding. And that worked all the way up incrementally until I was building kitchens with him when I was around 18, 19 years old, working during the summer between, uh, you know, stints at college, and then uh, just the latter years of high school that uh, transformed into um, when I moved away to Canada uh, and married my wife. And we lived up there and I worked in a couple commercial shops, commercial cabinetry shops, um, a residential cabinetry shop, did, doing a lot of kitchens. Um, I started working in the shop, building kitchens, uh, doing custom woodwork, you know, feature walls, um, custom countertops, um, railings, stairs, interior doors, basically anything that would be put into a commercial space. I was doing it and um, everything from, you know, laminate cabinets to high end solid wood stairs. Uh, I did basically everything. Uh, I moved from being in the shop to uh, being on site, doing a lot of site installs. And my time with this one shop, I think within the eight years I worked there, I installed around 450 kitchens. Um, just going, you know, a mile a minute, a lot going on, a lot of deadlines, a lot of work that had to be met. Um, learning along the way how different companies did business, how different companies interacted with each other on job sites, how the general contractor uh, would interact with the sub trades. I would be, I would spend a lot of time with the general contractors at lunch and that type of stuff, superintendents, project managers, and I would observe their frustrations with 
subtrades and I would learn what to do to make the project managers and sub superintendents happy and uh, how I could work with other trades on the job site. And that geared my mind towards um, pretty much just uh, how to serve a client that isn't just a person, but a bigger business, which trickles down into just being personable, willing to help, willing to go extra if needed, being able to observe a need and finding a way to meet that need to serve the person that I'm working with. Now, I found that there are two basic types of employees. Yes, there are other ones, but I, I feel like these are the main two types. On one hand, you have the employee that comes into work every day and just wants to learn. They just want to keep building on their foundation of knowledge and they want to hear from the boss. They want to hear from the shop foreman. They want to hear from the people who they are working with and they take all that knowledge and they continue to build it and then they start their own company using that foundation. And then on the other hand, there is the other type of employee. One that is still respectful and still comes to work to learn, but when they hear things, they are already digesting that and reformatting it, reformatting what they hear to work for how they think they would run their own business. So I'm interested in learning what type of employee were you? And, and I know saying that it sounds like it could be a trick where I have your old bosses on the other line and they're going to, they're going to tap in and, and yell at you based on your answer. But I promise you that that is not the case. This is not a trick. I genuinely want to know what type of employee you were. <laughs> um, I came into it, um, a lot of times when they would show me how to do something, it was because I didn't know how to do it. So the first time I was ever shown how to hang a door, the first time I was ever shown how to build a solid surface countertop, um, a lot of the actual woodworking experience I got in my dad's shop where I was, um, we did a lot of stuff. Basically everything that came out of the shop was made here solid wood doors, dovetail drawers, all that stuff. So when I went up and started working in these commercial shops, I was learning to work with materials that I didn't have experience with. And so when they would come and they would show me either, either the boss would show me something or some of my coworkers would show me something. I was usually the youngest guy there. So starting out, I was, um, you know, I was coming into a shop where even though I had a good amount of experience with cabinetry, uh, say like doing laminate work, laminating doors and countertops and reception desks and all that type of stuff is a whole nother ball game. If you think you know woodwork, that's great. But guess what? You cannot fill and sand a seam between laminate. It just does not work. You have to get it right the first time is a fragile material and you have to have processes in place to be able to succeed well with that. And so I would see these guys doing the work and they were very experienced. Um, you know, they had ways they did it each, you know, and I would notice that, oh, this guy doesn't laminate this way, but this guy over here does laminate this way. And so I would know that there are different ways to approach something. And so when I, when you ask whether or not I built on that, I would, what I would do is I would get the base knowledge figured out. Um, and then in my mind, I would always be thinking, how can I make this faster? How can I make this uh, more efficient? How can I make this tighter? How can I, you know, do whatever? Cause when you're doing, you know, when you're milling out 110 door frames for a big office building, uh, <laughs> You're not, uh, you have a lot of time to think about stuff. And, and most of the time I'd be listening to audiobooks or stuff like that. That was before podcasts were really a thing. And, uh, but I would also in my mind be going, okay, 
if I put my tools here, that means that when I get to the end of this run, I my tools I need to go back the other way to work up this countertop or work up this door or whatever else. I have the tools there when I stop. And then basically um, I just flip flop. So I go from either end and I use the router this way and then I use the file back the other way. And then you switch it back and forth. And so there are ways that you become more and more efficient just by tweaking little things in the process. And it would, I would pick up on those things fairly quickly and I would be able to, you know, at first, you know, I would, you know, I would be pretty slow trying to figure stuff out. Whenever I do something for the first time, I'm very slow because I, I'm thinking a lot. But then as time goes on, I don't have to think so much because uh, I have a process in place. I'm all about making processes and having routines and having things set up in a way that it takes less mental, like actual conscious thinking. And I, and uh, because honestly, I'm not a fast thinker when it comes to those things. So in order for me to be efficient, I have to set up a process and then go through it that way. And then there would be times where people would come up and they would suggest something or, and, uh, and they would offer information. And when I was younger, probably in my twenties, I would be offended by that. I'd be like, how, you know, I know what I'm doing. And I was, and when they would tell me something, even if I did know it, I would say, I know, I know, because I wanted people to think that I was competent. But what I should have been saying at that time was, thank you. Thank you. Because they're seeing the reason they're suggesting something is because they're seeing a void in my knowledge and they're trying to help or they were trying to, you know, boost their own influence going, oh yeah, I know better than you. And even if they didn't know better than me, I would say, oh, thank you because even if I can't learn anything from that person, having a cordial relationship with them is itself a form of currency because it doesn't matter who's on a job site. There's always somebody, even the dumbest guy uh, has a little trick to help him to get his job done better. And so I, as I went along with my, with learning, I would, um, I would recognize that there's more to learn than just the surface knowledge that somebody's offering me. And that is what has driven a lot of, when I took that humility and stepped away from trying to let other people know that I knew what I was doing and started, started accepting everything that everybody was giving me, whether it was good or bad or whatever, I became better because when you're just starting in the industry or if you don't have a lot of experience you don't know i'm gonna it's a stupid cliche but you don't know what you don't know and so you think you know but you may not and uh, i would say that is the biggest thing for anybody to learn is to become teachable it's so true because if it's a good situation then you're learning from that and you're taking away valuable knowledge that you can work into your own business. And if it's a bad situation, which I know we've all been in a lot of them, where somebody's telling you something and you're just shaking your head and thinking, this is, this is not correct. You are learning from that situation that that is not the correct way to do it. You're learning from both of them. And you just need to understand that you can take it all in and make your own decisions based on that. Don't shut people out. Take it all in and then figure out internally what is right for you. Now, it sounds like you had the woodworking side. You had the building side pretty much down. You were still learning, but you had the basics. What you didn't have was the business side, which is the other side of the furniture business. So when you decided to go out on your own, 
start your own company, how did you turn that corner from just being an employee to becoming a business owner? And I know that customer service is a big, big part of how you run your business. So how did you not only switch your mindset from employee to business owner, but how did you incorporate the customer service that you knew you wanted to bring into your company? Let's go back to the mindset of the employee. The employee works hard to get their money. They're working hard. And uh, the only way an employee starts to think that they want to go and do it on their own is if they feel like they're not being compensated enough for the work that they're doing at their job. Or they have a problem with uh, authority over them and they don't want people telling them what to do or they get so good at what they do that the people above them don't challenge them anymore and they feel like they need to do something a little more. So it was a combination of that for me. And I started, I remember almost vividly, I was promised a certain raise. Um, that raise did not come through when it was promised. And uh, immediately in my head, I was like, okay, can't trust these guys so i'm going to try to do my own thing so i started doing side jobs and in the cabinetry business side jobs are seen in a negative light you're using the shop because they they at the shop i worked at they were very gracious and allowed us to work in the shop after hours and uh they didn't charge us to use the shop which was really cool they just wanted us to buy all of our materials through them which was fair um and so uh i started with with that and it's rocky to begin with i mean people who just jump into it with no experience business wise and they think they're good employees so that'll make them a good businessman or they think that they can produce a good product and that means that they'll be successful there's a big gap a big knowledge gap between an employee who does good work and a business owner that does good work. Now, let's just let's just preface all of this information with uh, the fact that I've only been running Steen Woodwork LLC for four years. So <laughs> take what I'm saying with a grain of salt, but I like to look at people who are successful in what they do. And a lot of them start small and then they jump into it as i did side jobs where i would learn how to interact with customers learn expectations of customers and like i said at the beginning i was talking with the general contractors i was talking with the project managers i would deal with designers and architects and that type of stuff so i knew what they wanted and i knew how to help them to get with what they wanted you have to be on time you need to have good communication and you need to be malleable with when you produce the end product, meaning you need to be able to fit into their schedules. So all of those things I just listed with dealing with a customer, you don't deal with that as an employee. As an employee, you are told when something needs to be done, how it needs to be done, and you're told and what quality it needs to be done and then you're sent forward to go do it and you that's all you have to worry about but as a business owner you have to look at all these things like you know okay working on this job working really hard focusing on it but then at the end of the week you also have to put together uh quotes you also have to find materials you also have to communicate with clients and in a timely fashion they send you an email reply that day you know best case scenario you apply within an hour shows them that you're on it shows them that you're uh not gonna ghost them what's the biggest problem that a lot of uh customers have with contractors they didn't get back to me he's really hard to get a hold of and I noticed that on the job site too, trades that didn't get a hold of the project manager not only caused headaches for them, but caused headaches for other people down the line. So if you um, are going to be 
good at business, make sure that you're good at communication. That's a big one. You text the client, call the client, email the client, even if you don't have good news for them, even if you haven't started the project that you said you were going to start on Monday, you contact them and you tell them what's going on because you don't need to add disappointment because you're not going to get that job done when you said you were anyway. (laughs) So uh, don't add disappointment on top of unreliability. I love it how you said you remember vividly the exact moment you decided you wanted to go out on your own. Because for me personally, I have that same moment for my career. And I think back to it and I can I can almost taste it. That idea that it's time. It's time to do this on my own. And it's an amazing feeling and one that you can think back to to keep yourself going in the in the hard times. And I know that not everybody has that. Some people, it's a slow burn that they move into working for themselves. And some people, it's an emergency where they wake up one day and they find themselves working for themselves. But for some people who have had that experience where they can just pinpoint that moment, it it really is a life-changing experience. Now, your dedication to customer service is impressive, to say the least. Because as a small business owner, it is hard to get back to clients that quickly. You are dealing with so many different things. Juggling the actual building of pieces, juggling getting back to clients who have already paid you, just regular shop stuff that takes time. Time is not on your side when you have a small business. So it is really impressive your dedication to that fast return phone call or return email. Now I'm wondering what it looks like when you actually start dealing with a client. You get back to them so quickly, but what does that process look like when you get back to them? How do you work with clients and what does that experience look like i try first thing i try to do is find out what the client is wanting what do they want what are their expectations what type of quality are they looking for are they looking specifically for a look do they want something to look a certain way and they're not so concerned about what it's made of how it's made how it's going to be installed are they just looking for something that they saw Do they want something replicated? Do they want something custom? Do they want, you know, it's finding out what they want. That's usually the first five to 10 minutes of a conversation. If you're on the phone, that is my first question. I'm trying to discern what they want. Once I know what they want, I can then figure out how I'm going to work that in price-wise. So I can say, okay, you want this built-in going in and you want to be able to be functional so that you can serve family members when they come for Thanksgiving and big get togethers like that. All right. What kind of hardware are we using? Are we using soft clothes? Are we using, you know, this, that, or the other thing? Are you looking for something that's a color? Are you looking for something that's, you know, if, as soon as I get all of those things all together, then I ask them and I'm very straightforward. I say, listen, What I'm trying to do here is to make this as quickly and quick and simple as possible. Where is your budget on this? And that is very important to ask. And I tell them straight up, it's like, listen, I don't want to give you, I'm not here to gouge you. I'm going to charge you a fair price, but I need to know what you're expecting to pay. Because if you want this beautiful, you know, solid cherry built in cabinetry, and you only have a budget of $2,000, I can give you one cabinet. (laughs) Or or, because, you know, I have to to figure out what that is because if if their budget is so low that they they just can't manage to, uh, like we're not even on the same planet, 
I don't go any further. I tell him, it's like, you know what this, and I have a rough estimate in my head. I'm like, you know, this whole wall of cabinets is going to cost you probably between 12 and $16,000. And I gauge their reaction. If they go, oh, oh, geez, that's, that's way too much. Then I go, well, you know what? That's how we can do it. Um, there are ways to make it cheaper. You can use this type of hardware. You can use this type of wood. We can do it this way um, to try to get you closer to that number. Now we're talking between eight to 14,000 or, you know, something around in there. And, uh, and I, but I basically show them that I'm willing to meet them somewhere. I'm not going to say you're out to lunch. You're stupid. Get out of here. I got to say, Hey, there are ways that we can make this work. But one thing that is never something I'm going to bargain on is my time. I know how much time it's going to take to get this project done, where I have a fairly good idea how long it's going to take to get this project done. And I'm not going to skimp on that. I'm not going to say, yeah, I'll give you 25% off. We'll work with you this way. It's like, no, because then I'm losing money. (laughs) I can't, I got a wife and four kids and I'm the only, uh, I'm the sole provider for the family. And I don't have time to spend bending over backwards for somebody that has an unrealistic uh, price point. And that's not to say I don't work with people who can't, they don't have money. I've worked with people that are, they have a very low budget, but they're still dedicated to trying to get something done. And I try to meet them there. I'm not selling a dollar amount. I am selling quality. And one thing that does not change is how much time and effort I put into something. The only thing that changes is the, is the execution of that. So how, what the, what the materials are after we go through the materials to get everything made up, I'll say, this is the rough budget. This is what you're looking at. If I see that they're willing to even consider that budget and I go high on purpose, because I don't want to get into the weeds when I, when they say, yeah, let's, that seems fair. Let's go for that. Then I will put together a hard quote. And after I put together a hard quote, I say, this is what we can expect for, uh, this is a high number. Um, I'm giving you a high number because I don't like giving you a low number. And then turns out that we're over budget. I'll give you a high number. It's not going to be any higher than this unless there are changes on your end. Um, after I, I get the, the okay from them on that, I say, okay, to start designing this, I'm going to need a deposit of some sort. And then we work from there because my design is not, my design fee is my time. And just like we were talking earlier, it's hard to find time to reply to customers. So how about I get paid for my time so that I'm able to make time for replying to my current clients that I am already working on material for, you know, on products for, because all my other time is paid for as well. I'm not giving away my time. I'm not giving away my design fees because I don't know how many times I've come up with people. People have come to me with plans, with a design from somebody else that they got a free design from a free estimate from they come to me and say, how much would you charge for this? And I said, you want exactly this? They go, yes. (laughs) And I go, wow, you just stole design time from from another professional and you're bringing it to me to price shop. That's another red flag for me. If they come in with a, with a set design that I can tell was made up by somebody else, uh, I just tell them, you know what? I don't know if I'm able to make this work simply because there's a, there's a type of client that you're happy to work for. And there's a type of client that you hate working for. And I don't have time or the patience at this point to work for somebody that I, that I hate working for. It's just not worth my time. And, uh, and, uh, and those people, you know, they'll be probably just as happy ordering something from Lowe's or Ikea than they would be with something I made because they just want something that looks a certain way to fit in a hole. It's like, go find somebody else to fit that hole. <laughs> I'm not your guy. Yeah. It is so important to be on the same page 
with pricing because you know we've we've all been there where we're having a conversation with a client and suddenly we look up and we realize that we've just gone down a rabbit hole of three phone calls or five emails and the elephant in the room which is pricing hasn't even been discussed yep and we've wasted our time and the client's time because we weren't all on the same page and obviously you do it with some tact you don't pick up the phone and say hello what's your budget you work into it but you need to know where everybody stands on the issue of pricing now i i honestly don't know if there could be a better segue than that to talk about your own pricing and how you price out projects for clients and i'm really interested to hear how you do this because because i know you have a very strong sense of your self-worth of how much your time is worth and how you're not going to compromise that aspect of your pricing so let's talk about your pricing for client projects one thing i do is i get all the components together i figure out how much how many materials how much time it's going to take me to get those materials how much time it's going to take me to process those materials and i estimate all of that and i always go high always 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 go high not because i'm trying to inflate my price because but because i don't want to get to the end of a project and have a $3000 difference between my <laughs> my estimate and the invoice because if somebody can be super happy with your work but if they see that you're you know 30% higher <laughs> than your estimate was that takes a lot of joy out of the end product so what i do is i look at all that and you have to know your overhead you have to know that so you can't just go into it going okay this material will cost me 500 bucks. It'll take me 20 hours to do the work. I pay myself this much an hour uh, and or this is how much I want for you know per hour. So that means the end product is this. And that is a very foolish way of doing it. Your time plus the costs of the materials will always leave you behind because your overhead is then is even accounted for. So everybody talks about the markup of materials. It's like, oh, that's is shady for them to buy, you know, a faucet for you know, 50 bucks. I don't deal with faucets, but <laughs> so take a faucet for instance. Great it's, great choice then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like, if you take a this faucet cost the plumber $50, but he's charging me 100. Can you imagine? That's so backwards. But the thing is that is very difficult to charge out is gas for your pickup, uh, overhead, like the electricity in your shop, the uh, the service for sharpening your tools, whether it's your blades or your router bits, the price for replacing those blades and router bits, the price for, um, you know, your table saw is out of square and you got to re-square that up again. That's all considered in your overhead that uh, what's what's your cost there's a if somebody is having a hard time figuring out what their costs are i would highly recommend a book it's a book by a man named Sean Van Dyke it's called profit first for contractors it's not just for contractors it's basically for anybody who is fabricating a product and selling it and what he does he goes through different things like how much where to put all of these categories I just read his book. I mean, really, if we're looking at it, we got to look at it from this perspective. If you learned how to do, um, you know, you had you got the skills to do your job as an employee, and now you're applying those in a business. You learn from people who knew what they were doing. And so when it comes to business, why are you trying to struggle through it, wasting time, wasting money, 
in the first few years, why don't you go to somebody who already knows and has had experience in this and has had experience teaching other people to do this and learn from them? And so I decided to take that route. My wife and I read this book together so that we're both on the same page because she's helping. She's a part owner in the business as well. Um, she takes care of a lot of the back end stuff, like, uh, like the books and finances and that type of stuff while helping me organize that. And, uh, we go through this book and it tells us everything, most of everything that we need to know. There's some additional stuff that, uh, we had to get questions on and you learn as you go. But, um, when I look at pricing, I look at a, okay, how much experience do I have? I've been working in a shop. Uh, learning, gaining the skills to my craft for, oh, let's see here, 17 years. I was working pretty steadily learning what I was supposed to learn when I was 16 years old. It's the, it, and, and then you can basically price that. So if you only have two years experience, you're not going to be able to charge as much as somebody who has 20 years experience. You just can't. Uh, or I suppose you could if you can find people who are going to pay you for that. But um, there's a certain amount of know-how that is that the client will pay for. And uh, it's, it's like that, that saying, you know, it costs me, you know, the cost to cut a wire is $1. The, but the cost of knowing what wire to cut is $999. <laughs> yeah, it's it's building up experiences and it's building up a reputation. And both of those are incredibly important when you are setting up your pricing. Yep. So when I look at something, I look at, okay, I have this much experience. These are the tools I have. This is my overhead in the shop. I want to pay myself this much. I have to pay this much in taxes. Um, I'm going to charge $100 an hour shop shop time, straight up. Shop time or even in the field. Sometimes in the field, I'll probably charge a little bit more. But if it's something where I have to use my skill, I have to use my skill and know how to complete something quickly and efficiently, I charge $100 an hour. Uh, so I, I add that into the, into the books uh, for estimating. Um, I'll look at my materials and I'll, I've learned that in order to make a profit in a business, not just to make a wage, because I can make, I'm, I'm not in the business to make a wage. I'm in the business to make the business profitable. And there's a difference. And knowing that difference is what's going to make you successful or is going to make you uh, flounder in this business. And, uh, and so I'm, what I am learning is that in order to be profitable, you need to have roughly a 37% margin on what, on the cost of goods sold. So, and a 37% doesn't mean you mark everything up 37%. And I don't know how to exactly, how to explain this exactly, but say having a 40% markup on all of your materials is only giving you like a, I want to say like a 28% margin. It's weird. It's math. <laughs> I don't, I'm no mathematician, but I've learned that to make a profit and to have a healthy 37%, I shoot for a 40% margin. Uh, you have to mark up your cost 50%. And so I'm looking at, okay, this is a, this board cost me 10 bucks. I'm going to charge the client $15 for this board because I'm going to get the board. I bring it back here. I'm using tools to fabricate whatever I'm making out of this board. It all plays into that. And then I need to have a profit at the end. I need to pay myself and I need to have the business needs to have a profit because you getting paid is not profit. You getting paid is a cost of the business. And so you want to have a profit on top of that. That profit, you can do whatever you want with it. You can roll it back into the company to, uh, to 
help your company grow. It's like, oh, I want to really want to buy this new tool to help the company because uh, I think it's going to make me profitable. There's a whole nother realm of what, how to analyze what will help you to be profitable versus what will help you, uh, which, or <laughs> what will just make your life convenient and you have to measure those, whether it's worth the investment or not. Or you can take that money from the profit and you can roll it into an account that will accrue interest. It'll also be there in case of a uh, downturn in the economy, something where you're not getting work and you need to maintain the business uh, through times of uh, drought financially. So that's where if you're just paying yourself a wage, you got nothing. You don't have work. You ain't got nothing. You are simply a owner of a business that and you're only getting paid as an employee. I was tired of being paid as an employee. And so I, uh, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to own my own business and only take an employee, employee wage. I'm going to make sure that it's profitable. And so that is where I look at price wise. There's a difference in uh, prices of materials from place to place, but I've found that a 50% markup on materials. And you can also say, if you want $40 an hour for yourself, the business should mark up your wage. What you are paying yourself should be marked up for the business. Uh, because that all because that's a cost. Your wage is not your profit. Your wage is a cost for the business. And so whatever whatever if if money goes out to pay for something to be made, that is a cost. And that cost needs to be marked up for the business to be able to sustain itself. And that's why we have problems with people who say, yeah, I'm going to make this table and it's going to cost $3,000. And then people who are actually, you know, cutting it thin on being able to be profitable are saying, that's outrageous. You can't charge that much because you're going to be in business for five years, get to the end and realize you're losing money the entire time. But not only are you losing money and putting yourself out of business, you're driving the market down and putting a unrealistic perception of value on the product to all the customers. So don't just go out there and be a wingnut because number one, you're going to go out of business. And number two, you're going to drive the, you're going to make it very difficult for people who are actually trying to be smart in their business. You're going to make it more difficult for them to be successful as well. It's not about price gouging. It's not about trying to get the most money possible out of a client. There are people that'll do that. But if you want to sustain a business rather than just sustain a wage, then you need to be smart about this and you need to figure out what your costs are. Whoa. Wow. You, you really went deep on your pricing and thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And I know pricing is one of the hardest things that people do and i know that sometimes it's hard for one person to talk pricing with another person because everybody has different goals and everybody has different places that they're at in their career and everybody has different physical locations and everyone has different things that they're making so there's a lot of different aspects to pricing but that was an impressive deep dive into the look of how you do your pricing so thank you now there are people who are listening to this and they want to be where you are they want to be having their own furniture company and they want it to be a successful furniture company and they're on the fence of getting into the business and trying to figure out what's the best next steps for them to take. And there are also people who are in this business and who have been in this business for a while, but don't feel like they are 
getting to the levels that they want to. They've maybe hit a plateau and their growth just isn't there anymore. So for these people who are listening, what advice do you have for them to start their business or to jumpstart their business? My advice is to look to unconventional sources of information. Right now, the unconventional source of information is books. Books are great. When I started doing stuff on my own and I was finding a lull in information from where I, where I was getting it before, which was basically just on site uh, or in the shop experience from other people, to expand my horizons, I looked to books. One great book uh, is called The Encyclopedia of Furniture Making or the Encyclopedia of Furniture. It is a wealth of knowledge. Um, it talks everything about from how a log is sawn and how the material is produced and how the material will respond, expansion and contraction. I was in this industry for so long before I understood uh, expansion and contraction and why it happens. And that is such a big part of furniture making. If you're going to jump into furniture, that's great. Learn expansion and contraction or else you're going to build something and it's going to twist and warp and contract and your customers can be like, how come my table does a weird dip on these back two legs? It wasn't doing it before. And you get there and you're like, oh my gosh, all the boards are cupped. All of the joints are coming apart. Why is this happening? Well, there are things to know before jumping into that. So books, books are a great resource. Look to older guys. Look to folks who are doing a really good job, not just doing a good job uh, promoting themselves, but doing actually good work. I've found that those guys are the ones that find it hardest to promote themselves online. There's some good guys that do it out there. Uh, Ramon Valdez, Ramon Artful on Instagram. Uh, ben Brunick with Chalkstone Woodworking. He is awesome. Great resource. Look, look, look other places uh, than people that are at the same place that you're at. If, if you are in your garage and you're making furniture and you want to expand and do a better job, look to people who are not still working in their garage. Look to people who are working in big shops. Look to people who are uh, that haven't just started woodworking in the last 10 years because I don't care who you are and I don't care how much you've done. If you've only been doing it for the last 10 years, you have massive gaps in your, in your knowledge when it comes to the industry. Look to guys that have done it for a long time. Find old books. Look for things that were published before 1960. Those old dudes had to know how to do a really good job because they didn't have the machines that we have today that make it easy. And so the guys that had to work harder that didn't have the machines that we have um, know a lot more uh, about how to increase your skill level because they didn't have the conveniences that we have today. So look, look to old books, look to older guys because they will always have more information than the dudes that are fun to follow. There are people that are fun to follow because they're, they do the same thing we are. They're funny. They produce good quality content. That's cool. But look to the guys that are older. If you're trying to expand yourself and to make yourself better, look to older folks because they've seen everything you have and 30 years more. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's who I look to. I look and, and there are guys that are younger than me that are awesome. There are guys that are older than me that are awesome. There are guys that are older than me that are really bad. <laughs> but my point is there are guys that have put the effort forward to share their knowledge and uh, don't discount them simply because you don't understand the way that they are conveying the information. Wise, wise words. 
look to the elders. Look to the elders of the community to show the way. Because they've been there before. You don't always have to reinvent the wheel. We as woodworkers can be stubborn. We want to learn how to do it our own way. It's a solitary profession. We are in the shop and there is not always somebody who you can turn to, to learn how to do something. So you have to learn how to do it yourself. But that's not always the case. You can get out of that mindset and you can ask for help on the building side and on the business side. But even though we're saying the elders, I think there's also knowledge from people who have not spent their entire life in the industry, who are who are still fresh-faced. I don't know, 17 years in the industry, I don't know if you'd consider that still fresh-faced, but you still are learning. But with that learning, comes a wealth of knowledge that you already have. So thank you for sharing your story up to this point. And thank you for sharing lessons you've learned. And thank you for sharing your knowledge. And thank you for sharing your time with this community. Yeah, I'm very, very happy to share it. And whatever I know, I'm always happy to share it. And we are happy to listen to you. Thank you very much, Ethan. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at TheBuildWithEthan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.